The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox this Monday morning. Your headlines. Humanitarian aid enters the Gaza Strip and Israeli forces those step up airstrikes as the conflict with Hamas stretches into its third week. The Israeli president, Isaac Herzog, vehemently defends his country's reaction. It's very easy to blame Israel. Let's just remember where we were, what happened, and how do we have the right to defend ourselves. No other nation is faced with that. And had any nation been faced with that, believe me, they would have attacked this thing. Risk aversion uh, sets in. Asian stocks now falling for a fourth day as the global bond sell-off continues. Whilst a number of Fed speakers signal the central bank may be done raising interest rates. China's blue-chip CSI 300 slums to its lowest level since early 2019, while Beijing authorities reportedly open a probe into major Apple supplier Foxconn over taxes and land use. Volkswagen slashes its profit outlook but keeps its four-year delivery and sales target stable, pre-releasing results ahead of official earnings later this week. Speaking of the earnings calendar, corporate earnings kicks off into high gear with 30% of S&P 500 companies reporting this week as all eyes turn to the tech titans and the Magnificent Seven, Alphabet, Microsoft and Meta. Uh, a very warm welcome to you. Um, before we get into the top stories, nice to see you. We yes. haven't worked together for a few nice days as well. Um, look, I'm not saying it's full-on risk-off at the moment, but it seems that the, the multitude of factors, whether it be geopolitical, whether it be concerned about interest rates, whether it be the economic agenda as well, and maybe political instability on both sides of the Atlantic, from, from Spain to Italy to the United States and what's going on in the House as well. Very difficult to get too excited about equities at the moment, unless unless the earnings season can deliver something very interesting this week. It's, it's hard to see where the risk on is going to come from. And very often the risk on will turn up right at the, the nadir for the market. But it's very difficult to speak to anyone, and you speak to a lot of people in, in, in town, on and off air as well, who's excited about the market. The yeah, moment. it's interesting, isn't it? We've had this lull over summer where there wasn't really a lot of news. Most of it was just bad news. It wasn't earnings news. So in terms of the market reaction, it was a move lower on the back of some of the news flow. So earnings season could bring that difference, a segue into a different direction if we get a few beats. So that is a, a big event for the markets. But in terms of uh, one of the favourite uh, gauges that you look at, the fear gauge, the VIX, oh, when yeah. we saw that spike again last week and I think it's fascinating we've got what most of participants thinking that we've now got a Fed that is the end of its rate cycle 70% chance the Fed is done for hiking yet we've still got yields shooting higher yeah. it's interesting isn't it and you'd think with the geopolitics playing out that the yields would not be sustained at this rate that the market would be saying look uh, there's risk off moves at this point so, so maybe you'd see the race into Treasury markets and therefore you would see yields a little bit, a little bit lower I think, I think you've made some very interesting points. And in fact, I'm going to make a note on, on yields and VIX as well, because we're going to move on. But I want to come back to you both. And perhaps robustly, we can debate that a little bit later on. Lovely to see you, by the way. Uh, Israeli forces are continuing to launch airstrikes on positions in the Gaza Strip ahead of a widely expected ground offensive. 
Over 4,700 people have been killed in the Gaza Strip and West Bank, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, whilst around 1,400 people have been killed in Israel. Humanitarian aid has entered the Gaza Strip for the first time since Israel began its siege. Uh, an aid convoy entered Gaza on Saturday via the Rafah crossing, carrying medical supplies, food and water, with a further 14 trucks crossing over on Sunday. The U.S. President, Mr. Biden, and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have agreed that aid into the territory will continue after holding a call on Sunday. The Israeli President, Isaac Herzog, sat down with our sister channel, Sky News, with reporter Alistair Bunkel asking him about the impact of the siege. It was Hamas missiles which broke down the electricity infrastructure in Gaza. Nothing to do with us. Water, we supply only 7% of the water. It's fuel. Hamas operation. There's, there is fuel for the humanitarian need. It's under UNRWA. We are following very closely the humanitarian situation on the hour. Most of Gaza in function, is functioning. There are areas that are under battle. This is a real tragedy, but how does the world want... Well, how we how does the world cope? We can't say Gaza's how, functioning. How does the world cope? First of all, a lot of distorted information comes out of Gaza. No, no but we, how, do, have team, we do have a team on the ground so who we do trust, and we can't say that Gaza is a functioning pro but territory. The, but the problem is, of course, that part of the infrastructure and part of the aid is hijacked by Hamas. That's the issue. Guys, it's very easy to blame Israel. Let's just remember where we were, what happened, and how do we have the right to defend ourselves when a missile that flies 250 kilometers straight into Israel comes from people's living room. That's the situation we're faced with. No other nation is faced with that. And had any nation been faced with that, believe me, they would have attacked the same. Pro-Palestinian rallies took place around the world over the weekend, with over 100,000 people taking to the streets of London. The Metropolitan Police said the majority of activity was without incident. Demonstrations also took place in Los Angeles, New York, Ireland, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Turkey and Egypt, as well as Indonesia and Malaysia. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi has hit out at Israel's actions in Gaza and the impact on civilians. In the midst. Egypt condemns with complete clarity the targeting, killing or intimidation of all peaceful civilians and at the same time expresses its extreme astonishment that the world stands by and watches a catastrophic humanitarian crisis affecting two and a half million Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and collective punishment, a siege and a siege are imposed on them, starvation and violent pressure for forced displacement. Meanwhile, the risk of the conflict escalating into the wider region rose further after Iran's foreign minister issued this warning. I'd like to warn the United States of America and its regional proxy, the fake regime of Israel, that if they don't immediately halt crimes against humanity and ethnic cleansing in Gaza, anything would be possible at any moment and the region will get out of control. Let's get out to Dan for more. Dan, it was a big weekend, a heavy bombardment by the Israelis, moves to try and bring more humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip, and of course negotiations around those hostages still. Just walk us through the latest developments. Karen, good morning to you. Well, Israel continues to strike targets in central and northern Gaza by the air in the early hours of this morning. And that's even as we saw this second round of aid trucks starting to enter Gaza across the weekend as well. Israel has also been striking uh, Hezbollah terror cells 
in Lebanon too, basically seeking to deter that Iranian proxy from joining a wider conflict. This of course comes as Israel continues to warn of a ground invasion of Gaza and the US also increases its military presence in the Middle East by sending more air defense systems to the region as well. Now, Karen, you mentioned we have seen a flurry of diplomatic activity at the weekend too. Egypt convening that meeting of world leaders in Cairo with the notable absence of Israel and the US. This was the so-called Cairo Peace Summit that basically ended with no agreement, but of course, very important for Arab leaders to be meeting and discussing these issues. The Western leaders who attended called for the protection of civilian lives, while those Arab leaders condemned Israel's bombardment of Gaza. On the ground, health authorities in Gaza say more than 4,700 Palestinians have been killed since the airstrikes began two weeks ago. Of course, the primary concern for leaders in the West is the fact that a majority of the people that have been killed are women, children and the elderly, and that is a major, major concern right now. Of course, as you say too, at the weekend, we've also seen thousands continuing to take to the streets as anger grows over the violence against Palestinian civilians. In central London, we saw around 100,000 people joining pro-Palestinian marches with similar scenes in other parts of the world as well, like in Paris and in Copenhagen and also some cities in the United States. It's really important to say, though, we have also seen thousands taking part in pro-Israeli protests. Trafalgar Square in London saw around 20,000 protesters on Sunday. And at the same time, this all comes as those people demand the release of the more than 200 hostages still being held captive since October 7. So a lot of moving parts in this conflict as it enters a brand new week. Guys, it's back over to you. Dan, thank you very much indeed for your coverage as ever. And for more on developments in Gaza, check out our live blog on cnbc.com. And look, there's no doubt about it. We have this, this debate over the most tragic events that happened over the last 20, 30 years on this channel. We always ask the question, how are geopolitical effects going to affect markets? And the truth of the matter is, it's very, very hard to pinpoint it's because of this that the market's doing it, it's because of that. But the truth is, Karen, actually, on sentiment, which is already fragile, I would say it, it, it's certainly having a, a further dampening effect. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to take a look, though, at the yield story, because on the back of the Hamas attacks, we saw the early reaction as, well, this could spill into a wider conflict. Some of that settled down for a couple of days, but we've circled right back to that concern for markets and for the globe as we take a look at what could take place in the Middle East and relative that situation could put a bid back into the safe havens and you think US Treasuries but uh, that part of the market we've got yields escalating again the long end for instance uh, very close to the 5% mark last week and this was the real undercurrent for what we saw in equity markets the fact that we marched higher on these yields you can see just shy by three basis points this morning of that 5% mark and again it's that headwind that the markets battled over some of the summer months just looking at the escalation in yields and saying, look, this uh, changes the, the very nature of the cost of capital. And if you think about all these corporates that are refinancing down the track, it has a major bearing at some point. And you can see U.S. markets in retreat on that Friday session as a result. But uh, in terms of what we've got this week, well, the market closely looking at what other central banks will be doing. The ECB this week, Bank of Canada, there is a view that at this point the Fed is done when it comes to further rate hikes. Uh, if you look at Fed funds, 70% chance that the Fed is done hiking for this cycle. The chance of rate cuts seen from about May next year. So in that context, to see that yield perched at 5.13%, 
It is interesting, isn't it? Uh, you think perhaps we might get a shift lower at some point on that yield. In terms of the earnings, though, that could be instrumental. And perhaps we start to peel our eyes away from these yields this week as we take a look at what's happening on the tech side. We've got Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta all reporting and IBM, Intel are also on the ticket. And this is fascinating because every time we see that cost of capital equation come back into the mix with those long term yields escalating, it should destroy the narrative for some of these technology companies. So the underlying earnings will be quite key to see whether they can steer the attention back to some of the numbers. Also worth pointing out, we're going to have some GDP numbers that may be influential for that uh, yield on the US 10-year Treasury this week. The uh, numbers we're looking for, 4.2% on GDP. So we'll be uh, looking at that annualized growth rate when it crosses. In terms of the dollar, the escalation in yield supported for dollar trades. Morning session, sterling euro all on the back foot. 121.5 on sterling. We're down tenth of a percent on cable trades. Euro dollar 105.76 also giving back some territory. Dollar yen closely eyed. Look at that, just uh, just shy of the 150 handle. There's a lot of chatter in the markets as to whether the Bank of Japan will be dragged back into the market to tweak its yield curve control policy as we again see this tightening yield story globally putting pressure on this dollar yen rate, uh, the weakening of that currency. A dollar yuan is firm on morning session. To the Asian markets more broadly on the back of that Wall Street loss, so you've got to say it is downbeat to today. Eight tenths off from Australia to Shanghai. Shenzhen down just over one percent and four tenths down for the Japanese stock market today, Steve. Yeah, I think the market's playing a little bit of a whack-a-mole at the moment, but, it, but again, it's, it's, it's this constant um, dialogue we're getting from the Federal Reserve. And again, I'll ask you the question, is it helping the market make decisions or actually is it confusing the market as well? The, the latest to speak is Loretta Mester. Uh, she said that the Federal Reserve benchmark rate is either at or near its holding point. But she also agrees with the central bank's current forecast for one more hike before the year's end. Now, speaking before the shadow open market committee, the Cleveland Fed president stressed policymakers need to stay nimble as the effects of policy tightening become increasingly apparent. The Federal uh, Operating Markets Committee, FOMC, uh, will hold its next meeting. Uh, they're calling it the Halloween meeting already, aren't they? October 31st. To November 1st, where it's widely expected to keep rates steady. Elsewhere, the Atlanta Fed President Ralph Bostic, Raphael even, uh, told CNBC inflation is on track to slow down enough that the Fed could potentially ease its policy rate next year. We are not going to see a recession. That's not in my outlook. We're going to sl slow down and inflation will get down to its 2%. I don't think that we'll be uh, cutting rates before the middle of next year at the earliest. Coming up on the show, Italy marking one year of Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney taking power. We'll discuss the impact of her premiership and what could be next for Rome. Plus, another big week of earnings both here as well as stateside. Kicking off tomorrow with two of the uh, tech's biggest names. We'll break down what to expect later in the show. But first, We'll look at the latest results then from Philips with the CEO, that's Roy Jacobs. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview. It's coming up right after the break.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Um, we had a really good conversation with the CEO of Roche last week, uh, talking about the current suite of operations, where the growth is as well. Well, they've just announced actually a little part of that jigsaw puzzle, uh, and that is that Roche has uh, struck a deal worth $7.1 billion to acquire Televent Holdings from Royvent Sciences and Pfizer. Now, the Swiss drug maker, Roche, says the deal will give it the rights to a new therapy for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease, uh, something that's unfortunately massively on the rise. Uh, maybe it's part of how we live in the West, who knows? But uh, for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease and potentially multiple other diseases. Now, Televent was jointly formed by Royvent and Pfizer in 2022. Yeah, you're talking about how common this inflammatory condition is. And according to John Hopkins, it's about 1.6 million Americans that are usually that have been affected so far, mostly diagnosed before the age of 35. Wow. So we're talking about uh, very lifelong conditions here. Is, is the key here and potential other diseases as well, because we know that inflammation is, is, a, is a, well, inflammation can be supportive for the body in certain circumstances, but by and large, it is a, a worrying marker for a whole host of diseases. Uh, and of course, there are root causes of inflation, but actually uh, in bowel disease as well, it, it can signal some really bad things going wrong as well. So actually, I think any treatment for inflammatory bowel disease could have many, many other avenues as well. So absolutely fascinating window. So this company, uh, Televant, was jointly formed by Royvent and yeah. Pfizer yeah. in 2022. So we're talking about a company here. That's, very young. Uh, yeah, exactly. Very young for it then to be a part of another venture as well by another large company. So I think it's quite interesting to see such a journey taking place. And on the back of COVID, it felt as though the funding environment did change to an extent. Healthcare very much back in focus. And you're seeing, I think, more money deployed to areas where there are actually long-term uh, exposures Look, for some you patients. You and I have had some brilliant and, and in some ways awful conversations about COVID and its place in priorities. I remember our conversations right at the start in, in the spring of 2020, uh, where we had some very robust debates. And, uh, and COVID, absolutely, it was a, a, a horrible illness that needed kind of immediate attention. But I, I'll stand by something I said then at the time, and that is that there are a lot of longer term killers out there, which are way worse than COVID's ever been from there I say, heart disease to diabetes to cancers as well. So I think it's fascinating that, um, that Roche is doing what it, what, it, what it said it would do and, and what, it, what it's very good at, and that is pushing on with oncology plus a whole other suite of, of illnesses. But there's, a, there's another company we need to talk about which also uh, has its place in the healthcare spectrum. Indeed. Let's talk about Philips, which has hiked its sales and EBIT margin outlook for the year after posting a third quarter core profit of 457 million euros that was well ahead of analyst estimates. 
In terms of uh, the health tech group and its commentary today, it says it now expects comparable sales to rise 6 to 7 percent for the year and an adjusted EBIT margin of 10 to 11 percent. Roy Jacobs joins us now, the CEO of Philips. Thank you very much for joining us, Roy. Uh, big numbers rolling across the tape today. Uh, your company clawing its way back to profitability in recent months uh, in the last quarter or so. This on the back of those major recalls that have really damaged the brand since 2021. Just explain some of the strength that you're now seeing come through in the business. Yeah, we were indeed very happy to report 11% comparable sales growth, um, which is a very strong sales realization, which is on the back of the actions we have uh, implemented to improve our supply chain, so that we really can convert a strong order book that we have. That then also, in combination with strong productivity and cost measures that we have been taking, helps to deliver a very strong profitability. We doubled the profitability, as you have seen, and we also, on the back of that, have a very strong cash flow. And that was then uh, the reason that we could actually increase our outlook for the full year for the second time now towards the 6 7% growth and the 10 to 11% adjusted EBITDA, as you just mentioned. Well, let me ask you about the recall. I can see there's a line here today in the results that completing the uh, Philips Respironics recall remains your highest priority. But that said, it was only uh, several days ago that the FDA has said it's still not satisfied with your recall here, uh, that it uh, wants further risk testing, additional risk testing. testing. We've seen Bernstein, one of the analysts, say that uh, this is uh, not great for the stock. Just explain what you need to do next to clear some of those regulatory hurdles still around the recall. Yeah, so the recall remains our number one priority. We have been now remediating 99% of the sleep patients, and that's very good news for the patients. They're almost all back on therapy with our devices. Secondly, on the testing, we have had continuous dialogue with the FDA on progressing uh, the testing. They have also acknowledged that we have done extensive and independent testing, but they want us to do some more testing. So we actually are in the uh, process currently of defining what exactly means so that we can also then clarify any further need uh, for uh, for information from that. But also, as you have seen, next to the recall, the priorities is to work on all the businesses and segments of Philips because the 11% growth that we delivered came out of the totality of Philips. And we were very happy to see that all of the other businesses, both consumer as well as health businesses, across all geographies showed very strong growth. Roy, you came in to investigate and to clean up some of the issues around this recall and the fact that we've now got the regulator so late in the day, more than two years later, saying, look, there's still a problem with the handling of the recall. This is not a positive indication on the cleanup at this stage. So we continue to work on the recall, as I said, as a very important priority area. We also say that, um, and we knew that this is hard work that we need to do. We're making the progress at 99% of the remediation, and we keep focused on working very closely and collaboratively with all the regulators around the world. On that note, we were also happy to see that we can return to sleep in other parts of the world where we got the clearance to get back into the market. Next to that, as you have seen from our results, we are very clearly focusing on also improving our bottom line, the profitability, and also the cash that we are getting into the company. Because compared to last year, where we had a very strong and depressed profitability, we now are doubling the profitability so that we can ensure that moving forward, we have the funds to invest in the exciting innovation that healthcare needs. Because healthcare is under continuous pressure. There are massive shortages in labor, massive pressure on funds and we need to step forward with our technology as well to help them to deliver better productivity.
Roy, very good morning to you, sir. Um, I think there's two Phillips at the moment, and we, we, you and I and Karen have discussed this previously. The one that's blighted by the respirators, and the, then there's the rest of the business, which is going forward, and, and obviously you're very excited about, such as diagnostics up 14% on comparable sales. But I want to just pull on some comments that you made. I've just been on your website. In fact, I'm still on your website, looking at uh, the comparable sales figures. Comparable order intake, 9% lower than the third quarter 2022. And if we park respirators somewhere else for the moment, you, you say here it was mainly due to a high comparison base related to exceptional high levels of 2021, lower orders in China and longer lead times. It's the latter two points that I'd like you to drill into if you could. What's going on in China? Because I, 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 many of us out there are very worried about the headline level of growth, not reflecting the economic reality for companies such as yourself, sir. Yeah, China is, is a very important part also for Philips. Um, actually, on a positive note, we celebrated 100 years in China for Philips last week. So we have been there for long and we have also seen different cycles. Now, currently, as you've seen, the, um, uh, the economy is a bit depressed, more than we were um, expecting. And that actually is also showing in the results. But if you look to the prospects of China going forward, actually, there is a very strong market out there that still needs to be served. 1.3 billion of people that need healthcare that are short of having the right access to care. And they're the innovations really that we have do matter. It was important that we localized our portfolio because they're changing the rules of the game so that you really need to be local in preserving and serving also them with products that are innovated, made and delivered in China. We have made sure that 90% of our portfolio actually can do so as we speak. And that's also why we expect China to come back um, stronger uh, in near future. But for the moment, indeed, China is having a tough time, but we see the prospects for the future very bright. I will go there uh, soon in a few weeks also to discuss how we can ensure that we keep supporting the hospitals on the ground, but also the consumers that we are serving, because also there we saw some improvement, not yet fully there, but we expect them to come stronger back into 2024. Roy, uh, and again, I appreciate the fact that things, by and large, are very positive in the broader outlook for your company, raising your outlook further for uh, 2023. But you're also talking about the increasingly volatile geopolitical environment. Could you address that latter point for our viewers, please? Yeah, um, the setting uh, conflict in the Middle East, of course, is just the latest uh, show of that we are living in volatile worlds. Uh, we had earlier this year other conflicts dialing up. Uh, this is the latest one. And within that context, we need to make sure that we keep providing the solutions to our customers. And that's what we also are doing by simplifying our organization um, so that we are more agile. We can more regionalize um, and make sure that we adapt to the new realities that are unfolding sometimes within days and weeks. Um, and that's something that we are very acutely aware of. Within that context, we still have raised our guidance. We believe that we have currently our execution focus in place and improvement that we have been showing also underpins that we could do that for the rest of the year. But we are aware that the world that we live in, both inflation, still the interest that's out there and the geopolitical conflicts makes that you kind of need to be on your toes to be effective as a company in this kind of conditions. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.